continuing our series in the Shorter Catechism, and we are, as I mentioned already, looking at the Fourth Commandment. So we have been looking at, um, well, last week we looked particularly at what we're to do on the Christian Sabbath to keep it holy. Remember that when we speak of keeping it holy, that the word holy is the same as the word sanctify or sanctifying or consecrate or hallow. All of those come out of the same root words in Hebrew and then another, uh, the same root words in Greek. So uh, they refer to that which is set apart as special to God. So when the Bible tells us to keep a day holy, it means that we're to set it apart from the common days, from the ordinary days of the week as a dedicated day, a day dedicated to the Lord. Just like when you have a, a holiday declared to commemorate something, it's a day set apart. We focused last week not on what we're, we're not to do on the Lord's Day, but on what we are to do, that we're to worship God. And many times there's so much focus on what we're not to do, and that's all we think about. Oh, we can't do this, we can't do that. So it was good last week to look at, hey, this is what we get to do on the Lord's Day, and it's rich and it's valuable. Um, The reason for setting aside our work and our ordinary recreation we saw is so that we can worship God. And why would we want to do something that would keep us from being able to enjoy worshiping God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were so enthralled with that that you know we didn't even have to talk about what not to do because nobody would even think about like why would I do that today? You know, he's like a kid on on, on Christmas, you know, and he, he said, "Oh, I, I wanted to go out and play baseball this morning." You know, we're like what? You're like you know, we're we're opening presents this morning. <laughs> What's wrong with you, kid? Um, so people were. Uh, the very reason that God gave us the fourth commandment was because people were profaning the Sabbath, because they weren't rejoicing in it. Remember that God gave us the Sabbath day at creation as a holy day, set apart for his honor and blessing. But he did not give us the fourth commandment, because we didn't need a fourth commandment. He just gave us a day. And he didn't have to say, don't do this. Remember this. Because he gave us a day. Of course we remembered it because we had not fallen. But what does it mean then to profane something? We, prof- we, we now profane it and had to have a commandment. What does it mean to profane something when it is holy? Well, you profane it when you treat it as common or ordinary. You treat it like any other day. If you profane the name of the Lord, it means that you don't treat his name is any different than anyone else's name. Maybe even use it worse than other people's name. Maybe you use his name as a curse word. It's not special. It's not, it doesn't call for honor. So if you profane the Sabbath day, it means that you treat it just like any other day. And because profaning the Sabbath that God has given us has been a problem ever since the fall of the human race, it's necessary then not only for us to be reminded of what we are to do, but also prohibited from doing things that we are not to do. God had to tell us not to do any work because that would be to treat his Sabbath as if it were just an ordinary work day. Thus, in the fourth commandment, he says, Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. 
In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So today we're going to focus in particular not on what we're to do, but what we're not to do on this day, because we need to hear that. So we'll look. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to look at question sixty because we just looked at part of that, the the positive part last week, and we'll also take up question sixty one in the shorter catechism. So let's confess the answers to these two questions in unison. Question sixty: How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. And then question 61, what is forbidden in the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment forbiddeth the omission or careless performance of the duties required and the profaning the day by idleness or doing that which is in itself sinful or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about our worldly employments or recreations. And notice that that we profane it by idleness. So it's not a day to do nothing because we're supposed to worship God. It's not a day you just sit around and say, oh, it's a rest day. I'm not going to do anything. No, it's a day you rest in order that you can worship. It's not a day for doing, certainly, that which is in itself sinful. It's actually worse if you, say, steal or speak harshly to someone or whatever to do that on the Lord's day than it is to do it on another day. Because this day is special. It's set apart to God. And you profane the day, and it, you add profaning the day to the sin that you committed. It's, it has an aggravation to the sin. It's an additional grievance about it. So doing that which in itself sinful, that, that's, of course, obviously, you should never do that on any day, but it's even worse on the Lord's day. And then unnecessary, unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about our worldly employments or recreations. So again, having looked last week at how we're to dedicate the whole day in worship to God, this week we look at the things that we're to set aside so that we might do that. What are we forbidden to do? So in proceeding with this subject, I want to begin with a parable. Some of you will remember this parable. I've used it over the years. And uh, then we'll look at three passages in Scripture that each tell us of a way that the Sabbath is often profaned by God's people. So we'll look at what God's Word says about these different ways. The parable is the parable of Joe and Jane. And uh, Joe is one of the finest husbands around. He and Jane just got married about a year ago, and they're both very busy. But Joe is always available to his wife. He consistently gives himself to meet her needs, even at great personal sacrifice. He's loving, kind, gentle, wise, and faithful. He's, he's a picture of Christ, in other words. <laughs> As a good husband, Joe would like to spend more time with Jane. But it's difficult to get in more than half an hour each day because Jane is so busy. Joe realizes that if their relationship is going to grow, then they need to spend time together. You can't grow a relationship if you're apart from each other. 
He feels like they hardly even know each other and he wants that to change. He knows that he is called to lead his home spiritually and he wants to do that. Joe explains this to Jane and suggests that they take two vacations so that they can have time away, two weeks in December and two weeks in July. He asks Jane if she can get the time off. Now, you would think that Jane would be delighted that her husband, as wonderful as he is, (laughs) wants to spend time with her. But not so. She complains about the very idea. Don't you realize that I don't get paid vacations like you do? Besides, if I take that much time off, I may not get that promotion that I've been looking for. And then we won't be able to replace those hideous countertops with the granite ones. How can we even afford to live? How can we get along if we do this? Joe shows her that with his bonus that they'll actually be, that he just got, that they'll still be able to do that. He insists we really need to do this. With some reluctance, Jane concedes. After a while, as Jane thinks about it, she kind of likes the idea of having a little bit of a vacation you know she's been busy and she really needs a break she's been so busy and uh, so she begins to think about all the things that she would like to do uh, during that that those weeks off she starts making her own plans a one-week shopping trip with her friends she's been wanting to do that for a long time she can finish the scrapbook project that she started before they got married she can do a redo of the wallpaper in the basement that needs to be replaced. She completely forgets about the whole purpose of the vacation, which was to spend time with her husband. So in the meantime, Joe is planning a trip to Bermuda as a surprise for Jane. He's been praying that their relationship would be strengthened from the time that they have apart. He has no idea that Jane has been busy making her own plans, plans that exclude him. So when the time gets close, Jane mentions something about the renovation project that she's planned for one of the two weeks, just one of the two weeks. Joe encourages her, like, no, please don't plan anything. He's made plans for them. He wants to spend the entire two weeks with just the two of them. Jane explodes with anger. She calls one of her friends and she starts talking about how unreasonable her husband is. He wants to spend the whole time. He wants me to spend the whole time just with him. He says that he's already made arrangements. That's ridiculous, her friend says. How is he's just trying to control you. What, who does he think he is wanting to dominate you like that? What about our shopping trip? Just tell him that you've already got plans. That's right. He has to understand that I've got my own plans. So she, tells, she proceeds to tell Joe, you'll just have to cancel those plans that you made to go to Bermuda. That she's already got commitments and she can't break her commitments. Joe is very disappointed. He hardly gets to see Jane at all in December. But he does get her to agree to set aside the two weeks in July to go to Bermuda. When July finally comes... Jane begrudgingly goes along. She complains to all her friends. Joe wants me to spend the whole time just with him. And I did give him my word. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what he commanded me to do. She keeps saying, he doesn't want me to spend time with anybody else. Just with him. Just with him. Now, when they arrive in Bermuda then 
you know, she's, she's got a bit of an attitude, but Joe's trying to work with her. And he runs into an old friend that's staying in the same hotel that they're in. And he has just gotten married too. And uh, so Joe arranges to have dinner with them that night. He thinks that Jane will especially like his friend's wife, and he's very anxious to, to introduce them to each other. But Jane is sour the whole evening. She hardly even talks to the, to the friend and uh, the friends. And uh, when, when they return to their room, Joe says, you know, what's wrong? What's the problem? She replies, well, I thought you didn't want me to spend time with anybody else but you. I was just trying to do what you wanted to do. With firm anger, Joe assures her that that is not what he meant. But during the whole trip, Jane is cold and unresponsive. She never lets Joe forget that she has done her duty. I only spent this whole time with you. But that, of course, is not what Joe had in mind. Now, what about you? What is your attitude about the day that God appointed for you to be with him? And in his case, to honor him with your worship and to receive blessings from him. Let's look at three readings that show us three ways that the Sabbath is often profane. So we're going to have our scripture readings all along and during the service. So three ways that the Sabbath is often profaned by us as God's people. Just the way that Jane profaned her Sabbath with Joe. The first reading is from Amos 8, 4 through 10, where the Lord rebukes covetousness that has such a grip on you that you don't even want to set apart one day a week for him. The prophet Amos was sent to Bethel. That's where Jacob, you know, met with God and named the house of God. He went to Bethel where many of the upper class people of the northern kingdom lived, people of Israel. The Lord gave him a strong message of rebuke against these people on account of their covetousness. In our text, Amos is rebuking the people for their greed that is manifested in oppressing the poor, cheating people, chafing at keeping the Sabbaths of the Lord because they'd rather work than worship. Okay, so listen now as I read to you, starting in Amos 8, 4 and reading through verse 10. Amos 8, 4. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, when will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain? That was a day that was a, a holy day that God had given them the new moons. And the Sabbath that we may trade wheat making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this and everyone mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son, and its end like a bitter day. So in other words, days that would have been for normally for celebration and joy, will be days of mourning and sorrow because they chose not to keep 
the holy days of the Lord on account of their greed. You can see here that greed had such a grip on them that they couldn't wait for the Sabbath to be over. They were waiting. So like the person that uh, looks, looks like, okay, it's over. <laughs> then they're, now, now we can go and trade wheat. When will the Sabbath be over? Verse 5, so we can go and trade wheat. What kind of attitude is, about, is that about the Sabbath? It's not surprising that with that kind of attitude that their work was corrupted itself. The work that they did seven days a week, if they could, by their dishonesty and oppression. When you're so covetous that you can't give up one day a week, then you're going to have problems with, with materialism. You're going to have problems. It's almost certain that you're going to take advantage of other people. You're going to cut corners. You're going to, you're going to cheat them to get ahead. You're not going to look after the needs of others because your, your heart is full of covetousness. So, so how is it with you? Do you resent the Sabbath as a day that, that encroaches on your work? Does it seem like a waste of time to spend the whole day in worship when you might have been out producing income? I could have been doing something profitable. What, why am I why am in, the house worshiping, in the house of God worshiping Him? I could have been fixing my house. I could have been uh, replacing those countertops or doing that wallpaper. Do you have so much to do that the Sabbath is a shackle to you rather than a blessing that you look forward to and that you don't want to give up? The truth is, is that if we really are doing the will of God and we're very busy on the six days of the week that he's given us to labor, we're going to love the Sabbath even more when it comes around if we're keeping it holy to the Lord. If you look at the Sabbath as an imposition, though, you probably don't keep it very well, even if you go through the motions of keeping it. You'll be there before God's throne coming before him in worship, dreaming about the profits that you hope to rake in that coming week or, or making plans about the renovations that you're going to do on your house. Likely it won't be long when you do that that you'll start cutting corners on the day. First in the evening, you know, I'm just going to do a little bit of catching up. I'm just going to cut the Sabbath back a little. When is it going to be over? Well, I'm going to just cut back a little bit here. I've just got some catching up to do this week. And the next thing you know, that becomes regular, and then you're jettisoning the whole day after a while. Oh, well, you know, there's something important. So many people have done that in our society. I mean, I talk to people all the time that they say, well, you know, my my grandparents, yeah, they used to really keep the day. And then, you know, we weren't quite as careful when we were growing up. We had a big tournament or something like that going on. Then we went, and then their children, like, oh, our children, it's hard to even get them to come to church because, you know, they've got so many things going on and they're so busy. And it's, it, it, it goes, it goes downhill like that. It's so wrong. Jesus tells us that he made the Sabbath for us. We're busy all week and we desperately need time to remember our God, to sit at his feet, to learn his ways, to praise him, to admire him, to consider his marvelous works, to look at his grace that he has shown to us. He calls us to take time for this each day, but he has also appointed that we consecrate one day a week for this, one day out of the seven days. You need to cultivate a cycle each day of each day of worship and work where you have time time of worship each day and then you have your work and then you need to have a weekly cycle where you have the day that God has given you for worship and then you work this is what our creator appointed for us from the beginning what wickedness it is to resent this gracious provision 
Here is a chance for you to bring your honor and thanks to the one in whom you live and move and have your being. It's a chance for you to remember the only real reason for you having or doing anything. What is the purpose of your life if it's not to glorify your Creator? And not only that, but your gracious God also promises to bless you in a special way on this day. He meets with us. He reveals His love and His instruction to us. He encourages and refreshes us. He strengthens us by His Spirit. Who knows what blessings you may have missed by neglecting the Sabbath. Remember, think of Thomas when he was not in the assembly when the Lord Jesus came to announce that he was risen from the dead. Thomas was not there. What kind of contempt do you show to the Lord when you are wishing you could get out of keeping his day so you can go and trade wheat or whatever it is you want to do, whatever your greedy heart is captivated by on that day? But it's not just work that is inappropriate on the Sabbath. Our second reading from is from Isaiah 58:13 through 14 where the Lord calls us to stop doing our own thing on the Sabbath. Remember in the parable that um, Jane uh, didn't want to give up her work but then she said, "Okay, well this is kind of a is, I kind of like having a holiday. I can I can do a bunch of stuff that, you know, fun stuff that I, I've wanted to do." In this passage the Lord is showing his people why he's not been blessing them. In the first part of the chapter, we have their complaint that they're not being blessed. That even though, you know, we, we've been fasting and you're not listening to our prayers, you're not answering, you're not delivering us from, from some of the things. He, he begins them by telling them that he is not answering them because they've been oppressing the poor, that they ought to be helping. He reminds them that fasting is more than a time to present your request to God and say, God, deliver me from this. God, take away this. God, fix this. Whatever. It's a time to heighten your awareness before God of your sin so that in your need to repent. One of the main reasons our prayers are not answered is because, as it says in the Psalms, we, we regard iniquity in our heart. If we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. It hinders our prayers. If a husband's not treating his wife right, God's not going to hear his prayers. And then, after charging them with this, the Lord tells them that he is also refusing to hear them because they're doing their own things on his day. He calls upon them to delight in the things that he has given them to do instead of doing their own things on his day. Give attention now, then, as I read this passage to you. It's Isaiah 58, verse 13 and 14. He says, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord." And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Oh, what a fullness he talks about. On the high hills, you're, you're, you're blessed. You're, you're encouraged. You're feeding with the heritage of Jacob, your father, the, the covenant mercies of God upon you. The language here of turning your foot away is perhaps a little difficult for us. What, what does the Lord mean when he says that you should turn your foot away from the Sabbath. It sounds like that we're not supposed to keep it. You know, I'm not gonna I'm gonna turn my foot away from that Sabbath. I'm not gonna do that anymore. That's that's what it sounds like, but of course that's not the meaning. The idea is that their feet were were defiled and muddy. They were bringing in their own things to his day. It's like track and mud 
on uh, your mother's carpet, you know. I think when I was a boy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you're defiling something that's supposed to be clean. And you're making it uh, ruined. They're stomping on the day with deeds that profane the Sabbath, that make it common. It's like an old, uh, an old garage floor or something with oil and grease all over it and that kind of thing. You turn your, your, your mother's carpet into that. <laughs> you, you might say that we need to take our shoes off when we enter on the Sabbath day. That it's holy ground and we don't bring our own things into it to defile it. We're to set aside, as it goes on to say, our own ways, our own pleasures, and our own words. Interesting, isn't it? It's not talking about sinful deeds here, though it certainly include them. And God is talking about that there were sinful deeds involved. But it's talking about words and deeds that have nothing to do with the special character of the day. They're the ones that we bring in the muddy things that we bring in that don't belong there. They're doing things and saying things that have nothing to do with the worship of God. They're treating it like any other day. They brought these common everyday things into defile the holy day of God. So keep your feet off the carpet. The goal is that we learn to delight in keeping the Sabbath holy. Again, that we delight in speaking of what God has done, of what he calls us to do, of what he calls us to be. We rejoice in the law of God, uh, of who God is, of how we can serve him. Those are all the things that we urge traffic in that are holy things. A day devoted to praising him, to rejoicing him, learning of him. It's not a day for modifying our car, for going shopping, for watching a ball game or a popular movie. It's to trample God's day with your ordinary pleasures and thoughts and words as if it was just a common day. That's not what the Sabbath is supposed to be about. Now, it's quite legalistic to say, well, I'm not working, I'm going to a movie, or I'm playing tennis, and that's how I rest. Well, how you rest is not how God has told you. He's told you to rest in order that you may worship, not to rest in order that you can find your own pleasure. Do whatever you think is cool to do that day. The purpose of rest is not just rest. It is that, but not just that. It's to set aside your regular activities, again, so that you can devote the day to the things of the Lord. Don't, don't trample in your own things into that day. Keep Turn your foot, your dirty foot, away from polluting the day. Okay, now we understand what the words in Isaiah 58, 13, and 14 mean. Now the hard thing is doing what it says. Be very straightforward here about this. We're sinners, and the truth is, <laughs> we're not that close to God, <laughs> and it's hard for us to spend a whole day with just Him. As great as God as He is, a whole day rejoicing in Him, in His gracious works, praising Him, encouraging one another in Christian fellowship and communion, yes, we come short in this, and we say it's possible. I can't, I can't do this. And you're right. <laughs> Tell me about any other commandment that that's not true of as well. But for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason with this commandment, people say, if I can't keep it perfectly, then it means that it's not meant to be kept. Like, where does that come from? I don't know. It's, it's a strange view of God's commandments. I mean, is it not that way with all of his commandments? That, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? No, can't do it. <laughs> Don't forget about it. Just 
toss it out. No, no, that's not, that, that's not at all. These other, the other commandments are just as hard. It seems to be easier somehow for us to accept the fact that when we hate our brother in our heart, it's murder, and we don't say, oh, it's okay to murder, and that when we lust after a woman that we've committed adultery in our heart, and that means that, you know, well, we might as well just indulge in all the adultery because we can't keep this commandment anyway. That's, that's not the way we, we look at it. We struggle with the things that we have, we have trouble with, but we endeavor to keep the commandment in whatever, wherever we are in our sanctification, uh, growing into a, a more complete keeping of it. You know, we struggle, we break out in anger, and we say, oh, I'm breaking the commandment not to murder when I do that. And we repent and we go forward. We don't say, well, now I might as well murder the guy because I got angry anyway. What's the difference? <laughs> not many people toss that commandment out just because they can't keep it perfectly. So we come short. What does that mean? It means the most fundamental thing of all about Christianity. We need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. And when we look to Him and we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. We don't throw out the light and move into the darkness because we can't, we can't live in the light. We live in the light as those who are redeemed by Christ. We look to Him for cleansing and forgiveness in as much as we come short. And then we go forward obeying by grace. By grace, we can begin to grow in our love for God to such an extent that we will be able to keep the day better. But don't take this matter about not doing your own pleasure, or speaking your own words, or doing your own deeds as if we're talking there about oppressive regulations. The Lord is not putting shackles on us on the Lord's day. Now, we may wrongly feel like the things that he has given us are shackles, like, like Jane did in the, in the parable. But we can also look at the things that he has actually given us, just with him, just with him, as if that is a shackle. And then we have an attitude and our Sabbath keeping stinks and is not pleasing to God. So the third reading is from Matthew 12, 1 through 14, where the Lord corrects those who view the Sabbath as a day of oppressive, unreasonable regulations. The problem here is that these particular Sabbath keepers were so busy focusing on keeping the Sabbath, they had made a righteousness out of that all its own, that they didn't keep the Sabbath. <laughs> they, they weren't keeping it because they were so busy keeping it, just like Jane was. I'm going to just with him, just with him, just with him. For them, the Sabbath was more like a sacrifice where you give things up. Like the, the way that you were virtuous on the Sabbath was all the stuff you gave up. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Look how holy I am. It's not a day of rejoicing in the Lord to them and rejoicing in his works, but a day of giving up everything to show how devoted you are to God. All the focus was on what you're to stop doing, what you're giving up, instead of that you're devoting yourself to spend the day in communion, in active, loving communion with your Father. It's quite clear that the Pharisees in Matthew 12 were much more interested in what was not to be done on the Sabbath than they were in worshiping God. Let's read. Matthew 12, 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. This is Matthew 12, 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. 
Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Of course, he was talking about himself. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Let me just pause there for a minute. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What is he talking about? It means that God desires for us to come to him in a, in a, in a loving way when we, when we apply that to this, rather than making sacrifices, like just for the sake of sacrifices. He's looking for communion. We sacrifice to enhance communion with God, not as an end in itself. He says, so if you'd known what that means, he says, you would not have com- condemned the guiltless for grabbing something to eat off the tree or a, a, a stalk of grain on their way to worship when they were hungry. He says, uh, uh, verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. Now, there's another Sabbath thing. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him. You see what their intent was. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful, therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Boy, did those Pharisees miss the point. They completely missed the point. They forbade on the Sabbath what the Catechism refers to as works of necessity and mercy. Works of necessity are things like preparing a meal, driving to church, setting up chairs at church, leading worship. Here with Jesus, it, it, is, it was his disciples eating on their way to the synagogue, rubbing out some grain. Yes, they were harvesting, just for what they were eating. But it was not like that they were out in the fields, like bringing in the harvest. They're just getting something as they're going by kind of thing, just a bite to eat. Oppressive Sabbath keeping goes on today. There are Jews in New York City who have apartment buildings where the elevators are programmed to go up and down all day on the Sabbath and open the doors open on every floor because to push that button is to light a fire when you turn the light on and push the elevator button. So they have it programmed so that no one has to defile the Sabbath by lighting a fire. This is a real thing. If you go and buy an oven, you will see that those ovens often have a feature on them that's called Sabbath mode. What is that for? You know, what is it about? It's this very thing. It's so that you can set your oven so that it will automatically come on at a low grade when on the Sabbath day, and then you won't have to kindle a fire. You won't have to turn the knob on to kindle a fire. So you're making sure that you don't defile the Sabbath. I had a friend here in town that um, a, a guy came and asked if on, on the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread, he asked him if he would uh, purchase his cabinets for one week uh, period because he wanted to leave all the leaven in the kitchen and then it would belong to a Gentile and so he, he wouldn't have to clean the leaven out <laughs> and so and then, and then he would buy the cabinets back at the, at the end of the time so 
the prohibition in the Bible, sometimes people will use that and say, well, it says you're not supposed to light a fire, so you, that means you can't even turn on a light switch. Therefore, don't keep the Sabbath. That's their, that's their conclusion. That's not what it means. God wasn't saying if you're cold, you can't start a fire. He was saying in the context, he was talking about building the tabernacle and making all the things of it. You had to, it was like a, a, a fire that the blacksmiths would make to his, for working when he's doing his metal work and all of those kind of things. It wasn't if you're cold and you got to freeze all day because, oh, you know, you're not supposed to light a fire. It also would involve some foresight that in ordinary circumstances, you might um, make sure you had some coals that were hot. I mean, they tried to keep a fire going all the time. You know, you try to make sure there's gas in your car, whatever. You don't have to bother with it. But if you're out of gas, you don't say, oh, can't go to church. Can't. You know, you go on and go on and get the gas. It's, um, it's the work of necessity. And then works of mercy are things like helping an injured person. You know, somebody's stuck in the snow and you push the car out or that sort of thing. With Jesus in our text, it was healing a man on the Sabbath day who had been afflicted for many years with a withered hand. You can see right here how wrong the Pharisees were. They were spiritually sick. Here, the Son of God, the Lord of the Sabbath himself, is among them, before them, showing that he came to abolish the curse for his people on the Sabbath day by healing a man on the Sabbath day. I am here, Jesus was saying, to abolish the curse for my people. What a better thing could be done. What better thing could be done on the Sabbath day? Here was something for rejoicing on the Sabbath day, for worshiping God on the Sabbath day. But these fellows completely missed the point. We're not supposed to do anything. We're not supposed to do that. All they could think of was that Jesus had done this work of healing. And for them, that meant you profaned the day. It's only, you're not supposed to do anything like that. You, you, you are unholy. Christians who become zealous for keeping the Sabbath can miss the point in the same way. For example, suppose someone in the church is telling of a promotion that they got at work recently. An overzealous person might say, we shouldn't be talking about that. It's the Sabbath. I don't think that's right. This Christian has just spoken of how God blessed them. It's a great thing to talk about on the Sabbath. A mature believer ought to say, that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. And make sure that the focus is turned to God, especially on his day. He, he is so good to us. Let's praise him. Let's, let's give thanks right now about this matter. Or let's be sure and mention that at the prayer meeting today. Or perhaps, you know, maybe, maybe he might ask others who are, who are listening. Uh, that, that's so encouraging. What did God do in your life this week? And turn, turns to others and keep the, the conversation going and, and, and focused on God. I mean, we can do that, of course, any day of the week. But especially on the Lord's Day when we're thinking of him. Rather than, than coming in and saying, oh, that's that's prohibited. And don't be extreme about things prohibited on the Sabbath day. It's, it's not wrong to inquire about other people's health. It's a, it's a right thing. Or to share burdens that we have about our work or about something that broke or a challenging situation that we have at work. The problem where it starts to get into profaning the day is when you start strategizing, you know, about how I'm going to solve this problem at work and you get all focused on, you know, oh, and you, you begin to turn it into like more what you would do on uh, on other days. Or you, you want to balance your books, you know, on the Lord's Day or, or, or something like that. There can be a fine line. For example, we may speak of a new house that we purchased or the new car we got or the progress that we made on a renovation or the lack of progress. 
But the goal is to speak about these things before the Lord as those who are thankful for the trials that we're facing and who need grace to bear. This is something, again, that we need to grow in. Remember what I said about the other part? Like we're, no, one's, no one's perfect, that's true. But we don't toss it out because we can't keep it perfectly. We grow in our maturity and we'll come along. I know, I know I've got a long way to go on this commandment. So you see that the point is not that you set up regulations to make the day as difficult as possible. Look what I did for the Lord. I did all these difficult things because I, wanted, I honored the Lord. No, the whole day then you're focused on, you know, when you do that, you make the day about dodging things and avoiding things rather than rejoicing the Lord. So that a man gets healed and you're complaining about it. Like the whole day you're focused on avoiding things and you feel spiritual about doing that. You know, you're sitting at church watching people, you know, what are they, what are they doing over there? You know, what, what's that guy doing over there on the Sabbath day? Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one that instituted it. And he does not want us to be hungry or to walk past people that need assistance on his day. The point of the day is not to avoid everything. The point is to devote the day to the Lord as a holy festival of remembrance and to praise him for his wonderful works. And although this is obvious, it needs to be said because it is a common misunderstanding of Matthew 12. Jesus is not abolishing the Sabbath when he says these things when he corrects the Pharisees. That is such a common misunderstanding. It is just the opposite, in fact. He is, declares himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He is rescuing the Sabbath from their oppressive regulations and their wrong focus so people can keep it in the right way as a day to honor the Lord for his works and to rejoice before him. If he were abolishing the Sabbath, he would have said something like, The time is coming and now is when the Sabbath will no longer be observed. He said that about the things he was abolishing, like whether to worship Jerusalem at the temple. Of course, before he said the Jews, yeah, that's the salvation of the Jews. They're right. You're supposed to worship at Jerusalem. That's the temple that God appointed. But now he said the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. Because that was going to be done away. But he doesn't do that with the Sabbath. He doesn't matter because the Sabbath is done now. No, no. He says... He says, it matters very much. No, that's not the right way to look at the Sabbath. He, he corrects them about it. He clarifies, you see, because he wants his people in his kingdom to keep it in the right way. So today we have seen three ways that the day is ruined or profaned, three abuses that we must avoid. Profaning the day by our greed as those who would rather be working. Profaning the day by doing our own pleasures and speaking our own words as those who just want a day off to do what we want. Profaning the day by focusing on Sabbath regulations rather than on worshiping the Lord. The Lord's day ought to be the very best day of the week for us. Brothers and sisters, learn to keep it. Learn to rejoice and be glad in the day. What could be better than to have a risen Savior who invites you and calls you to set aside time to be with him and to receive, especially on that day, the benefits and blessings of his promised covenant and grace. Pity those who know not these mercies of God and who know not the experience of these things on the Lord's day. Please stand and let's pray. Oh Lord, how we thank you for giving us the Sabbath as a holy day 
of rest from all of our labors and recreations in order that we might come before you and that we might learn to rejoice before you as our God. Please help us, O Lord, and enrich us each Lord's Day in our walk with you. Father, what could be more important? What could be better than that? And Lord, that you have told us that, that you know, we're, we're to set aside this day. We're not being lazy or neglecting something that we ought not to neglect. It's just the opposite. We're doing, perhaps, we are doing the most important thing that we will do all week. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to look forward to the day, to cherish the day, and to engage fully in it. We know, Lord, that if we are not engaged, we're not going to be interested. If a kid is out on the ball field and he's just kind of standing there and he's not really um, not really engaged, not really involved, and he's not going to like playing ball. But if he gets fully into it, he immerses himself in it, he disciplines himself, he works hard to, to better himself, then he's going to enjoy it. And we pray, Lord, that, that we would do that with the Sabbath day. We pray that you would help us, Lord, because we are profaners of your day, whether it's wanting to work or wanting to recreate or becoming legalistic and looking at the day as something that is that, that we actually resent. Oh, Father, deliver us from these things. Bless your people, Lord, who are called by your name. Help us to glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, please be seated and let's prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. Resting in Christ with delight. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Resting in Christ in his finished work with joy and satisfaction. It's what the whole Christian life is about. Growing in our joy in Christ and his saving work and the rest that we have in him. But in the Lord's Supper, we rest in the finished work of Christ with great joy and satisfaction around his table. That's what we do at the table. At the table, we, we do it upon hearing the new covenant proclaimed to us in the words of institution, the finished work of Christ. His body was broken and his blood was shed for the remission of our sins. He gives us bread to represent his body and wine to represent his blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. And he tells us, eat and drink in remembrance of me. He declares to us that by means of his death, that we have the full remission of sins. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for the remission of the sins of many. By having us eat with faith in him, he encourages us that we have fellowship in his body and blood, in his sacrifice, and all the benefits of his sacrifice that, are, that, that come to us through his saving work. We can expect then to have those benefits that belong to his redeemed people because he promises them and he seals them to us in this sacrament. Even in partaking, as we partake, we look to him to strengthen our faith and to give us grace for new obedience, to turn from our sins that we haven't really fully turned from, to grow more and more in conformity to, to his calling. So hear these words of institution from the Gospel of Mark. And as they were eating, 
Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So if you are one who is resting in Christ as the one who died for our sins, we talked about resting in his finished work, resting in him as the one who died for your sins, if you have been baptized and you have been received as a communicant member, then you're welcome to partake. We are especially pleased today, as I mentioned in the announcement, to welcome Andrew Alexander to his first communion today. Let me remind all of you that you must come rightly to the Lord's table. Andrew was received because we found that he has a credible profession of faith by which he is thereby able to examine himself according to that faith and his understanding of the call of God in his life, the call of the gospel. He's able to take that responsibility that a little baby can't take, that a little child can't take, that's necessary for coming to the Lord's table when we partake. Children grow into that responsibility, and then they come to a time when uh, they're ready to take that up for themselves. We're called then, every time we come, to see that, that we are resting in Christ, that we are trusting in Him, that we are walking with Him, and to rectify any ways that we're not walking with Him. Like the ones in Isaiah that I read about, they were oppressing the poor and cheating people and all these things, and they, they were coming before Him with fasting, and coming before His feasts and things, and they, they weren't repenting, and God is not pleased with them. He did not regard them. In fact, he was displeased with them. We must come not clinging to the idols that we have in our life, the sins that we cherish. We rest in him. We turn away from those things. And we find our rest in Christ instead of in idols and in the things that we have put in place of him. At this table, we're to put away our idols, to turn from our sins, looking to Jesus for forgiveness and grace, that we might grow more and more in our joy, and in our satisfaction in Him. He is our resting place, and we are glad in Him, in the rest that He has given us. So you, let, let's pray and ask God to bless the bread and the wine. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the bread and the wine that is here before us. Lord, it's on symbolically on the table, Lord. And we thank you, O Lord, that you have presented bread and wine to us for the purpose of remembering Christ's body and blood, his blood that was shed for the remission of our sins and his body that was broken. And we praise you, Lord, that you have also commanded us to eat and drink of this in remembrance of him. That in doing so, Lord, we express that we are partakers of the benefits of his sacrifice. We express that we are looking to him, that we're trusting in him, that by faith, that we have these benefits according to your promise. We're also, Lord, looking to you to seal those benefits to us and even to impart those benefits as we eat and drink, as we look to you. We look to be refreshed in our faith, rejuvenated, that we might follow you and serve you more faithfully throughout the week, that we might live in relationship with you and not in distance to you. We pray, Lord, even as we have talked about Sabbath-keeping today and resting in you, 
that, Lord, our Sabbath keeping, that you would help us with that, Lord. We look to you to sanctify us and to help us learn what it is to keep the day holy and to be able to do that in a way that that is delightful to us and that's pleasing to you. For you made the Sabbath for us to be a blessing to us. You are Lord of the Sabbath and you're a gracious Lord. You're not a a harsh Lord who who deprives us of good things in order just to, to test us and see what we will do. Yes, sometimes you do test us and, and you stretch us and you give us hard things, but, but your commandments are not those things. Your, your call to observe the Sabbath day, it's a blessing that you have given us. It's a day of feasting and joy. And we pray, O oh Lord, then that we would receive it as such. If our relationship with you is right, then our Sabbath keeping will be right. O oh Lord, please visit us and strengthen us here at this table. Father, we pray that you would cleanse us from all of our sins, for that is what is set forth here, that by Jesus' blood that we have forgiveness. But Father, also, we need to be nourished, Lord, in the way that we have asked for already. So please, Lord, visit us here. Be with us and encourage our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The blessing of our God. Now may your righteousness go forth as brightness and your salvation as a lamp that burns. May the nations see your righteousness and all kings your glory. May you be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Amen. Amen. Amen.